Good morning, City Gates. My name is Ryan, and I am going to be teaching uh, you uh, something that I think Jesus really wants us to learn and to see from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 25 is where I'm going to be focusing. Uh, so if you have Bibles with you, I just invite you to turn there, even though there will be the Bible text on the screen. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a really hard job? Maybe you haven't had a really hard job, but maybe you've had a really hard time learning a skill. Maybe you've had a really hard time navigating a relationship, maybe with a spouse or a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or uh, with kids, maybe just a close friend. Or maybe, honestly, the, the hardest thing that you've had to navigate really lately has just been the pandemic as a whole. I, I mean, I when I was thinking about hard things that I've sort of experienced, uh, one of the things that sticks out is one of the first jobs I had. I had a job at Starbucks Coffee Company. And when I started, I did not expect it to be hard. I was really excited. I was excited to, to learn skills, to learn to make coffee really well and to connect with people. And much to my surprise, it was really difficult. Uh, there's a couple things that made it that way. I was replacing a guy that everybody liked on the team. And so that's always hard when you have somebody's big shoes to fill. Uh, but not only that, I was just really struggling trying to get the, the skills that I needed to do the job. And then on top of that, and this was probably the hardest part of it, I had a supervisor that just would not give me the time of the day. I felt like he was always breathing down my neck. I felt like he was always criticizing me. And it actually got so bad that I, I basically, I started making more of the same mistakes when I would come into work, especially when he was on the floor. Uh, and then he would just criticize me more. It was like, all that's all he had to say to me was criticism. And the thing that I, I noticed, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, is that our, our ability to do hard things is directly connected to whether or not we expect any good to come of it. And so our expectations actually really matter when it comes to facing and dealing with really hard things, whether that's a job, learning a new skill, navigating a relationship. And my guess is that if you've had something that was really hard that you didn't end up trying to complete, or maybe a job you quit, a relationship you quit, a skill you didn't learn, it's because you ultimately thought, man, this isn't worth it. Like, this is way too hard. And, and I think that Peter wants to teach us really something really important about the relationship between our expectations and endurance. Um, and he wants to do that by looking at the life of Jesus. So in 1 Peter, Peter's been writing to this group of Christians who are all across um, Turkey and like what's modern day Turkey. And they, he refers to them as exiles. And what's probably happened is they've basically been uh, thrown out of ostracized um, from tons of their close relationships. And a lot of what they're experiencing, if you look for the kinds of things that Peter's addressing, that they're probably dealing with, is that they're probably being made fun of a lot. They're being slandered. Uh, they're being, uh, the, the ESV uh, Bible translation translates it reviled. They're being insulted. They're just having strips torn off. And a big part of this is um, because of what Peter tells us about in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, when he says, um, he's basically telling them, the time is past. Uh, you've already spent enough time doing what the Gentiles want to do. 
living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and then they malign you, which is just a word for just, just absolutely devastating you verbally. And so the, the Christians are dealing with a real shock to their expectations. They started following Jesus, and then it got really hard. And so th they, they're thinking, man, re maybe re this rejection, this total social rejection, and all the suffering that comes with that, they're potentially losing jobs, potentially having relationships broken, potentially being kicked out by their families, um, potentially even being abused by their masters. Um, for those that are slaves. If you're, if you're curious about slavery, I would encourage you to watch last week's uh, sermon because Toby did a really great job dealing with that. But yeah, they're thinking, man, all this suffering, I, that's embarrassing. I should be ashamed. They might be thinking, man, what if other, other, what other people think of me is actually the way that God thinks of me? And man, if I don't try to make stuff happen, if I don't try to make this work, like... If I don't retaliate, this people this isn't going to stop. People are, are going to continue to do this. Maybe you've been bullied before and you know exactly how that feels. And the reality is, is when we're in those situations, we feel very similarly. We, f we can feel like the rejection and suffering we experience means that we should be ashamed of ourselves. We can feel like what other people think of us is actually what God thinks of us. And that unless we actually retaliate, yeah, things are just going to continue. And so I think what Peter wants us to see, he wants us to actually see what Jesus' expectations were when he went through that so that we can actually change our expectations to what Jesus' were um, and so that we can actually have the same outcome that Jesus had. So let's look at the text. So starting in verse uh, 20 to 21, um, I'll just, we'll just get some context really quick before we jump into verse 22. Peter says, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. If you want to know what God thinks of your suffering, for doing good and when you endure it, he thinks it's gracious. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And this is what I like to call, um, if, you were, if you tuned in to last week, the end in the commission, a J-curve mentality. Um, I got that, that, that uh, I guess that phrase, the J-curve thing, from a book by a theologian named Paul um, E. Miller uh, of the same title. And basically, it's that when you become a Christian, you're actually called to the same shape of life that Jesus has. That's normally what the, the phrase... The, calling refers to in the New Testament letters. And it's the idea that you actually, in order to get here, which is to, to inherit Jesus's glory and honor and immortality, um, you actually have to go through the very low part of going to the cross, just like Jesus did. And it's actually the hope of getting here that enables your endurance through this part to get there. And so that's what Peter wants his readers to get. And the way this looks is Jesus didn't retaliate when he suffered. Peter says this in verse 22. He says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't retaliate. There's a bunch of things that are listed there. Jesus never sinned. He never deceived anybody. He didn't revile back. And he didn't threaten. And instead, he, he did something completely different. And that, that is so different from the world we find yourself, our, ourselves in. I don't know if you've been paying attention to social media or the news or if you just turned off from it because it's such a storm and it's so anxiety and like anger producing. But our, our whole world, our whole social sphere is filled with retaliation. It's filled with vitriol. I don't care if you jump on Twitter, which every time I do that, I feel like it's just a massive flame war, like the whole thing. Um, I don't know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of it. So there's so much enmity, so much strife, so much retaliation and vitriol. And a big part of that, I would argue, is it's because we actually have forgotten how to hope. Everybody's kind of in this survivalist mentality. We aren't confident we'll make it out okay unless we are actually savage to people. And all caps, destroy the other person. And so we can't afford to endure with a genuine sense of mercy. The mentality is just that if I don't lash out, I am gonna get curb stomped. I can't afford not to have a comeback. I can't afford not to throw a punch. I can't afford not to try my best to make the other person look just as bad as I feel. And I, and I would also argue this, I think that retaliation, and I think the passage really shows this, retaliation is a mentality without Jesus's hope. See, with Jesus' hope, you can actually afford all of those things. You can afford not to have a comeback. You can afford not to throw a punch. And you can afford not to demonize the people that you disagree with. And the thing is, it's important to recognize what hope means. Because often when we talk about hope, we're, we're kind of referring to a kind of like optimism. But in the New Testament, that's not really what hope referred, refers to. Hope is something that's certain. It's something you can expect. It's something you can rely on. And that's why Peter opens the whole letter with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's actually with that same hope that Jesus had, you can endure without retaliating. And I want to make a quick aside on the difference between um, retaliation and rebuke. Because in the passage, we see that Jesus doesn't retaliate, but there's nothing that Peter actually says about not calling evil what it is. Um, retaliation says, you hurt me, I hurt you more. But rebuke says, you hurt me, and it's wrong. Jesus, through Peter, commands us not to retaliate, but not to never rebuke. In fact, it's really important for us to be able to identify to people that what they're doing is wrong, even when it's really uncomfortable. I think it's also really important to note that um, because Peter's already told us that we need to obey the authorities, and since abuse is legal, illegal, it's definitely not, it should not be legal, sometimes sadly it is legal. But because it is illegal in the country of Canada where this is being shot, it should be reported. Um, in authority, informing the authorities or cops isn't taking vengeance for yourself. So if there's any doubt in your mind about that, that's not, what, that's not a proper application of this passage to our context. 
to say that you should never report abuse to the, the cops. You, you should. But what Peter is trying to say, he's trying to communicate to us is, is, is how to have a mentality that will allow us to have, to have endurance and to have hope. Because he, currently he's talking to slaves who don't have any legal recourse. There are no cops to call. And so for them, the best they can do is sit tight and endure and to represent Jesus really well as they do that and not be afraid because they have hope. And one last thing I want to explain really quick about rebuke. Rebuke actually can be a form of vengeance if it's not done without forgiveness or without hope. See, with a hope for justice, when you're going to expect that justice is going to come, you actually have the freedom to, to entrust the justice giving to God and then to actually let to actually release that person in your heart and then tell them what they did wrong. And that way you don't actually try to do it just to, to, to tear a strip off them, just to make them feel horrible. And you can actually do it humbly and in a way that, that honors Jesus. Sorry, that was a bit of a big aside, but I just want to switch back now to what um, Jesus expects. Let's look at that in verse 23. It says that Jesus, instead of retaliating, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, City Gates, Jesus expects two things. Um, three, really, but we're going to look at two first. He, he expects justice and he expects the glory that comes along with that. Jesus entrusts, it literally, so the word in Greek, literally, he hands himself over. It's like when Jesus, on the cross in in the Gospel of Luke, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I I hand over my spirit. Part of the problem is that we don't expect justice to come unless we make it ourselves. Jesus does not have that problem. And that's what's so striking about him and why it's so important for us to pay attention to imitate him and we are being mistreated because he trusts his father. He remembers the J curve and he'll be, and then, and he believes he's convinced that he will be vindicated by the truly just judge. And this is why expectations really matter for endurance. Jesus expects that the actual way that he gets here is through here. He expects that this, the way of the cross, to go all the way down into the grave, to be humiliated and to be rejected and to be deserted by everybody who that society said was important. That is actually the path to get to glory, to get to justice. And so it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He he, He totally didn't take the shame seriously that was being held heaped on him because he had his eyes focused on his father and what his father had promised him. The perfect judge willingly became the innocent victim for people like you and me. He, Jesus believes that the father sees and favors his willingness to bear their hate and their evil and their sin and their rebellion and their rage against God without treating them the same way. That's how Jesus endures. But the other thing that Jesus expects, and this is really the scandal, because it's so, everybody thinks forgiveness is a great idea until you actually have to do it. 
Everybody thinks mercy is a great idea unless some, until somebody has actually destroyed your life, has made your life so difficult. But Jesus expects that through his suffering, mercy can actually come to those people. This is why verse 24 says, He himself, Jesus himself, the innocent victim, bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is the wonder of God's mercy and justice, folks. Because the perfect judge, just like I said earlier, got a little head in my notes, the perfect judge willingly became the completely innocent, oppressed victim to free and transform oppressors, not to destroy them. Because he actually prefers restoration to destruction. Do you prefer that? Are you willing to prefer that? Especially in a world that just seems to hype and, and elevate vitriol and rage. And when it feels like devastating when somebody can really hurt you and, and, and shame you. See, we think they hurt me, they oppressed me, so I have the right to make them pay and to keep them down so they never do it again. Jesus shows that there is not one pure group of people who are the oppressed and one impure group of people who are the oppressors. And that things just need to be switched. In fact, we're all bent towards oppression because we all have the tendency to, when we have the opportunity and we've been really hurt, to take vengeance into our own hands. We're bent towards that same oppression even when we've been hurt. We viciously retaliate towards each, each other, often without even realizing that that's what we're doing. We can be so self-justified about it. And therefore, because of that, we actually all have the same problem at the end of the day. No matter how far you've taken that vengeance or that oppression, we all have that bent towards it. We're all condemned as far as God's concerned. We all owe a debt to God we can't pay because of that tendency to reject him as judge and take that position for ourselves. And the thing is, is a lot of the time we, we owe God this massive debt, but then we walk around him in and everybody else pay their little way smaller debts in comparison to us. We haven't been grateful for what God has given us as much as we, near, we should be. We haven't served him as we, we ought. And so we deserve to pay, especially when we hurt and break other people. But Jesus identifies with both groups of people. He identifies with the people who have been really hurt, who have been pushed down and oppressed. And he actually then also, and this is the scandal, he identifies with the oppressor on the cross. He says, I will take the judgment that they deserve so that they can go free. And I will also take their abuse so that people who are oppressed can realize that they are not alone, that the God of the universe is not so far away from their experience that he can't understand. Jesus expects that his way of suffering will make mercy for us. And this is the outcome of Jesus' endurance. This is what Peter says in verses 24. He himself bore our sins. He carried the weight of all of that slander and all of that abuse in his body on the tree so that we might die to that way of living, die to sin 
all kinds of sin and then live to righteousness, to live to justice. And it's actually by his wounds that you've been healed. Jesus experiences the justice of God, his own justice as the divine son of God, so that you can experience mercy, even though you don't deserve it. So that you would actually be healed. God's not interested in just having a guilt trip over your life for, for the rest of it. So you always have to be somehow making up for all of the horrible things you've done. Jesus was sent as God's only son to carry your sin into the grave and leave it there. To bear the punishment that you deserve. So that as in taking your jersey, God would look at you and see Jesus. And he would look at Jesus and see you. You get to become transformed from a person who retaliates because they don't have that expectation that things will work out, that they don't have the expectation that there will be a just judge into somebody who actually can trust that and so treats people humbly with justice and mercy. And this is why Peter says in verse 25, this is how you know the check cleared in your life that his wounds healed you because you were once straying like sheep, verse 25, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, of your lives. The retaliating way was the way that you used to go when you were wandering sheep, when you didn't know Jesus. Jesus' endurance of the same evil that you're tempted to, even now as a Christian, and as a non-Christian, it was actually Jesus' endurance that enabled you to be brought close to the same Father that you can trust if you place your trust in what Jesus has done for you as the person who will ultimately do perfect justice and perfect restoration and will give you the same glory that he gave Jesus because he was willing to endure that cross. He was willing to not retaliate against his enemies. And he watches over you right now, Christian brother and sister. He watches over you right now, person who's having a really hard time with a set of parents or a boss or the legal authorities or a friend or a bully. He sees you. Jesus endured the cross so you would know that he sees you. And he will help you treat your enemies in the same way if you let him, if you entrust yourself to him, if you have that mentality of hope and expectation. See guys, this is why our expectations are in, in our endurance. They go together like this. Unless we have the right expectation of hope and glory and potential, very real potential and what we should want for our enemies, the mercy we should want for our enemies. Unless we have that expectation, we won't be able to endure. We will bail or we will fail to follow Jesus. We won't be bold. We won't be bold to call out sin for what it is, knowing that the suffering will come and being willing to endure it with mercy. And that is so important for our day as things get harder and harder to be a Christian, when it becomes harder and harder not to celebrate things that the world will celebrate. When it becomes harder and harder to be to not be to not give in to the temptation to be silent, 
when the world says something is okay and it really isn't because it destroys people. And we need this mentality of expectation and hope and mercy and glory that we will be vindicated in the end, that Jesus sees us and his Father knows us and he will bring us to the same destination that he brought Jesus. Expecting hope enables endurance. See, I started this sermon talking about my Starbucks story. And I want to finish and tell you the rest of that story. Because Jesus actually fulfilled this in my own life. See, I remember coming home one day uh, from work and I just wanted to throw in the towel. I was sick and tired of having my coworkers not understand me and having this uh, supervisor just rake me over the coals. And I was like, is this really worth it? Like, should I just quit this job? Like, it's a minimum wage job. Does it really matter? I was 19 at the time. And... I remember praying through Isaiah 41 and right at the end of, uh, there's a passage um, in Isaiah 41 verse 10 that talks about how God says to his people, I will strengthen you and I'll help you. I'll hold you, uphold you by my righteous right hand. But then the next verse in verse 11, I believe, it says that all who are incensed against you will become as nothing and will perish. You'll look for them and you won't be able to find them. And the Holy Spirit just in that moment just assured me, Ryan, you're going to look for the people who are making your life really hard if you endure and you won't be able to find them. And I prom- it, it was the strangest thing, but probably in the next four weeks, I watched almost everybody at my work who, who I just had a really hard time getting along with um, either get moved off my shift, have a 180 degree turn towards me, um, or actually just leave my store. But the whole day it was my supervisor. And I probably could have challenged him, rebuked him, um, but I didn't really realize that at the time. And uh, I felt like I needed just to, to endure and to focus on the fact that Jesus was my boss more than my supervisor was. And this all came to a head one day when I was putting some uh, stock away. And I'd gotten so used to him just like only talking to me when I'd done something wrong that uh, I would just apologize so that he would get off my back and so I could get to work and finish, fix my mistake. One day I'm, I'm putting the stock away and he walks out of the back room and he says, hey Ryan, and just instinctively I said, oh, sorry. And he looked at me and he said, why are you apologizing? Like you, you didn't do anything wrong. And he, he actually didn't even finish the word wrong because he looked at me and he realized that he had literally trained me to just expect that the only time he would speak to me is if I'd messed something up. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit just exposed to him what, how he'd been treating me that whole time. And I, I promise you, I was furious in that moment because I knew I had him. I knew that right now I had the opportunity to just, just absolutely destroy this guy. I could make him feel like the worst supervisor Starbucks had ever had because of the way I'd been feeling for multiple months. And by the grace of God, I said, Dave, that's not his real name. I forgive you. And that was really hard. <laughs> and I just remember he didn't know what to do with that. He literally pivoted, walked into the back room and he didn't know what to do. And then he called me back and he apologized to me. 
And guys, it would be crazy if that was the end of the story, but it actually gets crazier. Because not only did he say, I really want to change, and he did change. He actually got kind of awkward. He would start to like sing my praises on the Starbucks floor and it was weird. But um, he really did do his best to change his, his behavior towards me. But not only that, I remember one good Friday, um, I had, had gone to church in the morning. I came into work a little bit later and uh, I had a coworker who came in and was like, oh, so how was sleeping in this morning? It's Good Friday. And I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't actually end up getting to sleep and I, I went to church, it's good, good Friday. And she's like, oh, you're, you're religious? And I remember immediately I heard on my left, uh, Dave go, Oh, Ryan, he, he's not religious. And most of the people at work knew I was Christian because I, I regularly didn't work on Sundays. And I was kind of waiting for the punchline this because this guy would sometimes kind of make fun of me to, to drop. And he said, Ryan, he's not religious. He's enlightened. And I, I didn't even know what to say. I, I, I was like, what? Like, what is happening? He's now talking to my coworker about my faith in a positive way. And that gave me an opportunity to talk to this coworker about the gospel. And I just wanna give you that example of a story because this actually is real. When Jesus makes promises like this, he intends to keep them. And he, he says it's worth the risk of losing way more than I lost at Starbucks. If that's what it takes to represent Jesus in the gospel well, and in fact, he actually told this to Peter in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Peter said to Jesus one time, he said, Jesus, look, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you. And guys, this is a promise that you need to hold on to. This has been so comforting to me as I, as I think about some of the things that's been really hard when it comes to following Jesus. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. That's a lot of things for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I pray that you would hold on to that promise, that you remember that Jesus' hope, Jesus' expectations are yours if you've trusted in him, and that he sees you when things are hard. Will you trust him? Thanks, Ryan. I trust that you've been following these uh, great sermons and challenging sermons as we've been walking through 1 Peter. This week was no exception. It is so ingrained in our flesh to react with vengeance when we are wronged. You know, we wanna seek our definition of justice as soon as possible, right? Once we're wronged, we wanna wrong back. But I wanna challenge us to do as Jesus did. Um, in what we just talked about today. In verse 23, it says, When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, let's not get it twisted. This is not a verse that promotes a passive lifestyle. You know, that would see us 
roll over and not take a stand on anything. On the contrary, this, this passage shows us what to do when we suffer for taking action <laughs> and standing up for the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus' lifestyle was anything but passive. And at the climax of his time on earth, he was nailed to a cross and ultimately suffered the consequence of death for not doing anything wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. It was not fair. But Jesus left the judgment to God. And so as we go about our week, let us be bold enough to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ, especially when it would cost us something. And when it costs us something, let's remember to forgive those who have wronged us and leave the judgment to God. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great week. Go in peace.